These people are coming all over, from all over the world, from Asia, from Africa. We have people coming. Haiti is like emptying out. There is going to be no Haiti. Somebody's going to end up buying all of Haiti. You're not going to have any people there. They're going to say, what a nice piece of land this is. Everyone from Haiti is moving into the United States of America. Hello guys, welcome to the 17th episode of the 1804. Um, today we'll be talking a little bit much about an article that came out regarding what transpired after the assassination of Jonel Moïse. Um, we'll also be looking at a few scandals and shown, um, corruption and seeing, it'll obviously show you how politicians in Haiti are enriching themselves rather than to serve the public, they get into these positions to help themselves and their families. Um, and then we'll also be looking at um, a few names that popped up um, in terms of being associated with Louis Abinadel, the president of Dominican Republic, where you'll see Biggio had appointed Gilbert Biggio, which is the um, richest person in the Caribbean, happens to be Haitian. Um, he appointed a few of his employees to work with Louis Abinadel, but mainly to protect his own interests. So we'll start off with that. And also, I want to say thank you guys for um, tuning in. If you get the chance, please like and subscribe. Um, this show is also available on any podcast DSPs, Apple's, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those, as well as YouTube. And I'll probably be on um, Rumble in a couple weeks as well. Okay. So this is a tweet from I found... Um, HRC 07, Hector Rodamas, but he had tweeted, I have it translated here, Haitian businessman Gilbert Biggio sanctioned by Canada um, for financing Haitian gangs, apparently financed Louis Abinadel's campaign and has so much power over him that at least two Biggio employees have been appointed to protect his interest and investment in the DR. Pablo Daniel Portes Gores as financial advisor to Abinadel, as well as Walkiria Kamano as chief of staff of the Ministry of Energy and Mines, in addition to her duties as vice minister of hydrocarbons. So I'll play the clip here. Of this is seems like if you're watching this, I don't know what um, either politician, reporter, I don't know exactly what his position is. Um, he explains this in Spanish. I won't play the whole clip. I don't understand or speak Spanish, but if you happen to be Spanish, I'll play the clip for you here. There you go. Y a partir de hoy que el presidente sepa lo que me pueda pasar, porque él sabe de qué tipo de banda estoy hablando. Son las bandas criminales que en Haití no permiten que nada pase. Y ese, cada peso que produce él en República Dominicana, lo compra de armas. Según dice la embajada de Canadá, y lo manda a la pandilla haitiana para mantener desestabilizado el pueblo haitiano también para jodernos a nosotros los dominicanos. Y es una vergüenza que en el Palacio Nacional hayan dos empleados de alto rango, uno asesor financiero del Poder Ejecutivo. Anyway, so you can watch the rest of the clip. The, his Twitter handles there, HRCCO7. But the main point, too, that other people were making is 
um, there was a, allegedly a list of sanctions that Louis B, Louis Abinader had put against Haitian politicians, which matched the, the list, which matched a lot of the list that um, politicians were sanctioned by Canada and the U.S. Um, but one name similar to how the states has yet to um, hasn't hasn't really put. Um, it would have only made sense if the U.S. had also sanctioned Jibibijo. They haven't. But in the Dominican Republic, that was one of the names that wasn't included in Louis, Louis Abinadel's um, sanction list. And a lot of people wondered why. Why is that? People did allude to, well, obviously, Jibibijo is one of the most powerful people in the Caribbean. Um, but people are looking to ask to why, but this can clearly show they do have some type of relationship. Um, based on this gentleman, what he's saying here, um, he did help, he did finance his last campaign election as well. Um, I'll go to another article because there's more to this because their names are tied up. The employees are, they're tied up to other, um, I'd say findings or, or not scandals, but findings from other reporters, but I'll get to it. Um, I'll get to this. this report from DR1. So Abinadel did not sanction businessmen. Jobbijo blocked by Canada. So I'll get into this here. The Abinadel administration left out Haitian businessman Jobbijo from the list of persons he recently ordered the migration agency to impede entry to the Dominican Republic. According to the report of DR Libre, the list otherwise includes all those accused by the United States and Canada of providing financial and logistic support to armed gangs in Haiti, as I previously stated. Um, Diario Libre also reports that Portes Gores, so keep that name in mind, is known as a close, powerful collaborator of Biggio. So just to give you, he's one of the, so I want to focus on, I'll go back to the tweet because the names are there, but I want to focus on Pablo Daniel Portes Gores in a few minutes. But this is just a break, breakdown of the Biggio group, um, his his conglomerate's company. Right now, this is obviously Gilbert Biggio. Um, that's his son, um, the chairman. Um, and then you'll see Pablo Portes, although this might have to be updated here because it shows him as CEO and director. However, in the article, which I'll continue to read, has him as a different position. But regardless, he is employed as a, in a senior position or leadership position for the Gilbert Bijou group. And then you also got um, Laurence Bijou, another daughter, um, the daughter of Gilbert Bijou. As for Yale, I don't know. I don't know her, but. I know Laurence is the one of the daughters as well. So keep Pablo Portes in mind, but Laurence too, but mainly Pablo Portes. So I'll just get back now to the article and we'll continue. Portes Gore has been advisor to the executive branch on financial matters since the start of Abinandel's administration of um, August 16th, um, 2020. Jao Libre reports that Portes is identified in the stock market as a legal representative of um, Joe Bijou Group. Ruven Shalom Bijou, son of Bijou Bijou, has been a, the company's president treasurer since um, December 13, 2022. His daughter, Lawrence B Sarah Bijou, serves as secretary, and Maria Del Mar Rodriguez Fernandez is the vice president. So, more background on this guy. Portes Gores has held stakes in other major companies in, in country, including Dominican Republic, um, sorry, the, including the Dominican Petroleum Refinery and the Scotiabank and Progresso banks, which if you don't know, Scotiabank is a Canadian bank. Joe Libre reports that Portes Gore's LinkedIn profile state that he's been advisory board member of Ab InBev, Surya, excuse me if I'm butchering this, Nacional Dominicana, and board member of Scotiabank Dominican Republic and Banco Dominicano del Progreso, okay? So he's held many 
high positions for especially um specifically as a board member um he's also tied to so if you go so i don't know if you guys are familiar with um pandora papers or the paradise papers but especially well she says right here but the international consortium of investigative journalists and essentially what the pandora pa the paradise papers what it revealed it's a i'll read it here it's based off their website they do very um amazing work a lot of the investigations revolves um the elites or well very wealthy people using their positions um using tax havens by creating shell companies offshore etc cetera, etc cetera. um you can go look into it but big names politicians have been named in there including even um justin trudeau in these pandora paper um not the paradise papers but in one of the papers that are written by the icig but there's a bunch of politicians former presidents leaders that are involved in these um in these reports but the parent um the paradise paper basically a major global collaboration revealed secret from one of the world's most prestigious offshore law firms a specialized trust company and 19 company registries in uh, secrecy jurisdictions so the key findings of this report was reveals offshore interests and activities of more than 120 politicians and world leaders including queen elizabeth ii and 13 advisors major donors and members of u.s president donald trump's administration those are the main the bigger the big names that are in this specific paper okay um exposes the tax engineering of more than 100 multinational corporations including apple nike and botox maker allergen um, revealed tax haven shopping sprees by multinational companies in Africa and Asia that use shell companies in Mauritius and Singapore to reduce taxes. Um, so basically, it, you can read the full report. There's a bunch of names in them, too. But what I wanted to get to. All right. So if you look at here, they have usually so on the website, they document the um, within the Pandora, um, the sorry, the uh, Paradise Paper specifically. They usually document what company that's involved in the names. And you see Gulfstream Petroleum SRL incorporated in 2004. And in the list of leadership positions, so mostly managers, if whether or not they're, um, I'm sure this might have changed between now and 2014, but you'll see that um, Goros Pablo Daniel Portes in this company was also um, involved in this, whether he was directly involved. Um, we don't know, but he was in a leadership um, position in this in this specific company um, that was taking that was uh, in the scheme of using tax havens and uh, maybe not reporting under reporting um, their income. Because and the th funny thing too, um, you also see Gilbert Bijo's name popped up, which all he in a management position. Um, and as well as his daughter, Sarah Lawrence Biggio, in a management position, too. And the reason I'm saying that's not the first time their name has popped up in the Pandora, in um, the Paradise Papers or any type of paper, because um, Louis Abinader and Biggio also were mentioned in the Pandora Papers back in 2021. So what are the Pandora Papers? Essentially, it was similar to reporting like this, which exposed a lot of names and companies involved in this scheme. Um, but just so they do have um, a tendency of being named in these type of things, which I'm not surprised. This is a guy, um, like I said, billionaire, wealthy, 
has enough power to finance gangs in Haiti and not get touched. Um, that's the type of status a lot of these people have. Um, and then you'll see this is from the Miami Herald, but it was basically talking about Biggio's involvement in the Pandora Papers. Um, so I'll read this here. Dubbed the Pandora Papers, the leak involved more than 11.9 million documents from 14 global offshore service providers, companies, or law firms that created offshore entities, often with obscuring complex ownership structures. Collectively, the Pandora Papers show how the wealthy elite, including Biggio, across the globe shield even hide their fortunes. So... Abigio retired as a CEO of GV Group in 2018 and is frequently referred to as a billionaire, yet hails from the hemisphere's poorest country. It's a nation torn apart by earthquakes, corruption, gang violence, and this summer's horrifying assassination of president. Keep in mind, this was in written in 2021. Um, the Pandora Papers shows Bijou, sometimes Miami resident, used offshore multiple tax havens and moved wealth to Miami and Switzerland. And then, who is also involved in the Pandora Papers? Well... Louis Abinader, too, based on the ICIG's investigation um, or reporting back in 2021. Um, so Louis Abinader is the wealthiest public official in the Dominican Republic. His net worth is approximately $70 million, according to a public declaration of assets he filed one month after he was elected presidential in 20, president in 2020. I highly doubt this is accurate. I probably, I think it's probably more, considering that people of his status um, take advantage of the tax system and their status and wealth. Um, so leaked documents show that Abinadar is linked to two Pan Panamanian companies, Little Cot Inc., who he owns with his sister and brother, and Padreso S.A., of which the three siblings are shareholders. Both companies were created before Abinadar became president. Little Cot was incorporated in 2011, and Padreso was set up in 2014. Records show that they were created to hold assets in the Dominican Republic, but the document don't include details about those holdings. Abinadel told ICIG that Little Coat Inc. holds a family property in Dominican Republic, but Dress OSA holds shares of six other entities that own properties and extensions of the private university owned by his family. So, anyway, just to show you these names. So, going back to the tweet, um, like you said, he appointed two of his former employees, or at least people he knows to work with Louis Biandor. Um, that's how it is, really, how these people function on time. It's more of a buddy-buddy system. They'll protect each other. It's kind of, um, they'll most time protect each other's, um, and they don't care about whether or not what they're doing may affect most of the people. Now, the business dealings, I don't want to make um, some mention that the business dealings, whatever Bijou's relationship with Abinadar is hurting them but the fact that again he was one of those people that was not on that dominican republic sanction list clearly shows they have um a relationship there as well and with the with the names popping up and the multiple names popping up in the pandora papers as well as the paradise papers so i just want to show you guys that although they never get caught they can they somehow never get arrested for a lot of things happening um these guys they know how to play the game and and not face any consequences in that sense. Um, next one, um, next one I want to show you. It's an exclusive by the CPR. So Center for Economic and Policy Research, um, written by David Adams and um, Jake Johnston. Um, essentially detailing everything that what transpired um, after a bit after the assassination. And 
there was a basically based off a WhatsApp transcript, which showed essentially once that um, Julien Moïse well, was found, presumed dead, um, they're trying to find a way to get protection. Um, the sorry, the, the um, mercenaries are trying to find a way to get out of the country, but mainly find a way to hide before they can eventually escape and find protection. But I'll go through it too, because a lot of interesting revelations in here. Um, so Antonio Intrago, one of the owners of the security firm, counterterrorism student at Federal Academy, finally responded to about 30 minutes later, I'm trying to call Gabriel. He wrote as reference to Akanja Patel, his partner in CTU, which CTU is the counterterrorist unit Federal Academy, this private um, security firm in Miami. And a man who had personally recruited Capador and some 20 other former Colombian soldiers to the plot Patel, the FBI has admitted was an active informant with the agency at the time. So I'll go into here. This is basically detailing again um, what transpired after but you'll see a few quotes. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, Chiragon Patel managed and directed the other members of the conspiracy, including the Colombians. Yet, the chat revealed that for hours after the raid of the president's home, the leaders of the Colombian soldiers were unable to reach the two men in Florida that the Department of Justice alleged are the center of the plot. Although only offering a partial accounting, the newly obtained WhatsApp chat provides a dramatic narrative of the events that unfolded in the hours and days after the assassination, as well as a new insight into the intentions of the alleged conspirators. They also raise significant questions about the narrative presented by U.S. prosecutors and the role played by various foreign embassies. According to U.S. prosecutors, however, by early July, plans had shifted. Sanon was no longer seen as a viable presidential candidate. Instead, CTU and their Colombian security team had found a new leader to back. Wendell Koch, a former Supreme Court judge who had been fired by Moise months later. So this is just detailing um, the succession plan was for Sano to become the next president, which would have been installed by whoever funded um, the assassination. But there was a change um, to that for to a former Supreme um, Judge Court, um, Wendell Koch, and she had even written a letter because they're essentially saying that a lot of the mercenaries were under the impression that they had the support of the U.S. and Haitian government in the sense that what they were doing was for regime change under the guise that, again, Moise was past his term. Therefore, he was overstaying in term. So in a sense for them and the reasoning for that, that was a good um, for the mercenaries. They believed it because that was the reasoning given to them based on the findings of the CEPR. In mid-June, many of the alleged conspirators claimed to have met with Koch at the judge's home, just a few hundred meters from the president's house. Darius Koch and another judge official allegedly signed a document authorizing the arrest of President Moise and promising immunity to those involved. James Solage, a Haitian-American who was working with CTU, personally traveled to Florida and delivered a document to CTU. Okay? That letter, the authenticity of which dispute um, this by Koch and the other official is a critical piece of evidence um, in the case that provides much of the basis for U.S. legal jurisdiction. Well, basically, one of the four mercenaries had given that and sent it um, by hand to CTU. So now we're at the point where they're about to seek protection um, from the police and embassy. So I'll go through it here. While nobody seemed to know what the judge was doing or why she had yet to make a, any pronouncement, the focus of the chats shifted towards getting the police to back off. So 
Um, this is when to the point after they they had assassinated Joanne Moise, then they're off running, trying to find somewhere to lay low. The chats contain reports of snipers on nearby rooftops and drones flying overhead. Just before 10 a.m., one of the Colombians relayed a message from Jar that the police were about to attack. Soon thereafter, Jar shared contact information from Leon Chal, Haiti's police chief. Chief of police, you need to contact me ASAP, Intriago wrote to Charles. And again, just to give more context, Intriago is the owner of the, the security firm that hired the mercenaries. So just to be clear, Intriago is the um, owner of that firm. We are contacted to offer a welcome to work with us. Oh, sorry. Intriago wrote, to, sorry, I'll read that again. Chief of police, need, you need to contact me ASAP, integral to Charles, according to the message forwarded to one of the chats. There are some Americans that need to be protected. They were with a judge order and you must stop any confrontation. So again, they think that because they have this judge order that gives them immunity, that they should not have any protection. They should ha um, gain protection. Before I continue, one thing I want to make clear here, there's a paragraph here. Um, Intrigago and Ventimela had maintained their innocence from the beginning of the investigation, claiming they were deceived by unknown persons in Haiti who framed the Colombians. Pretel has made no public statement. Many of the Colombians also claimed they were duped, alleging that the president was already dead when they entered the house. So this is a new revelation according to the CPR, CEPR, which is something we haven't heard. A lot of them, apparently, they're alleging they're saying that some of the mercenaries are saying that he was already dead by the time they got there. Um, while in jail, several other former soldiers who entered Moi's residence admitted to carrying out the assassination in interviews with investigators. So there's two sets. There's two different stories here. Um, um, two sets of different stories, but they say that they died because they the confessions were uh, obtained under torture. We don't know if that's true or not, but this is what the CEPR is saying. By early afternoon, the police attack had yet to materialize, but neither had any support from the trapped Colombians. At 1.25 p.m., Intriago shared an update from one of the principal suspects in the assassination plot, a former Haitian justice ministry official, Joseph Baggio, who we still don't know where this guy is. We still don't know. Some have even, some have even accused um, Ariel of knowing where he is or even hiding Barrio, which I would not even be surprised because these guys, these dudes literally had a phone call before the assassination twice. So I'd be surprised if Ariel doesn't know where this dude is or where he last was, or he was last, I should say. Anyways. Barrio is doing what he can and maintaining very positive communication with me, and I am sure you'll be out there soon. I confirmed that there is an order for the police not to proceed and that there are clarifying things wrote in Triago. This is the, again, the head of the security firm. The message reveals for the first time Badjo's direct involvement within the CTU conspiracy. So they had direct contact here. So, so Badjo and C um, the head of the CTU seem to have known each other well uh, by that point, at least. At 5.10, Intriago informed the group. So this is after, before I go into, this is after the, like now the police are on their ass and they're still trying to find a way so they can get the police to back off. Um, so you see at 4.30 p.m., Intriago shared a publicly listed number of the embassies of Taiwan and Venezuela. 20 minutes later, Pratel sent the emergency contact number for the U.S. embassy in Port-au-Prince. He asked one of the groups who was a U.S. citizen 
to call the embassy and explain to them that the young that you guys work for CTU, you were on a mission to assist the judge and what happened. They want to hear from you directly. So the head of CTU was basically telling um telling the mercenaries to just call the US embassy, uh, mainly Salage to call the US embassy and explain the situation. Four minutes later, Mike relayed that Salage was on the phone with the US embassy. So at 510, Intriago informed the group that I have just been told that they are calling from the US to stop the attack. So this is a new revelation too. Apparently at 510, um, he got a call that they're, they're, the US is calling to stop the attack on these mercenaries on a completely different foreign, completely different land. Just to show you that the power of the US, if this is true, then... That just shows you the, the amount of power the U.S. has over Haiti as well as the international community on Haiti. He asked for a list of names and photos of the group to send to foreign embassies, Canada, Venezuela, Taiwan, to seek asylum. So I'm just curious, why would these countries give them, like, why would they think that they would be able to get asylum other than obviously for what they had um, for based on that judge order that they had? But now you have two different stories, which is not clear here because there's two different stories um, mentioning that some of them, for example, arrived there and they thought they were dead. They arrived there and already saw him dead. And there's other people, there's other stories which clearly show that even I didn't see the pictures, but Jovenel did get like shot multiple times. Um, but what's not clear here is the fact that was these, um, were they acting under the guys that um, with that same paper that essentially provided them immunity or in that point where they um, they committed the crime. Because then again, we don't know which story is true, whether or not um, Juvenal Moise was actually um, dead by the time or not. But if he was not, were they, uh, were they trying to escape after they killed him, which is what I assumed? Or did they actually believe that they were actually, um, were they actually duped and believe what they were doing was good and to the point where they have to kill him because there's other reports showing um it's not showing but actually um based on the investigations um that last minute when they got there some of the mercenaries got orders that they were no longer they're going there to, to take Jerome Moise to kidnap him and then last minute from the kidnapping it turned to an assassination so there's also that story there that um the CP, cpr is not um um um, highlighting but it on miami herald articles and i believe another one that they do highlight this um to make the point the u.s government had previously made public that two haitian americans involved a plot james solage and former da informant joseph vincent which is still uh, sketched to me in a sense like i just like i always said before i mentioned multiple times i do believe that whether or not they're directly involved i don't think the u.s didn't know what was going on with considering the fact they have the cia I'm heavily involved, almost in, have their hands in almost everywhere in the world of national interest, obviously. Um, so it's hard for me to believe that. Bonjour Vincent, we're in contact with U.S. officials and we're in course surrendered to you, Haitian police, which they subsequently did around 6.30 p.m. I'll read more of my favorite excerpts from the article. Another part, like another part where Intrigago responded to the mercenaries and he was saying that, and this is the head of the CTU, but he was saying that he had just spoken to the Kenyan ambassador and that he was trying to reach the ambassador of Taiwan. Okay. So the Kenyan ambassador to Haiti is, um, 
Sebastian Carrier. Um, why would, um, then again, if that's the case, like, did he call him to see Castellan based on that order? Um, I wonder what, how that conversation went, because if it was Sebastian Carrier caught off guard when he got that call, and what would he have recommended them to do? Like, was it saying, oh, we can't help you? Or, because they did have a conversation. So he must have known that something was going to, like, something was going to happen. Um, the fact that he felt so comfortable calling him too, but who knows? So I encourage you to read it. But the main points, the main points for me to pull out here is um, if this is true, I'm just always, I'm just curious as to why the head of the CTU, the firm, um, felt comfortable enough to be calling, um, the Canadian ambassador, um, the American embassy and even the American embassy allegedly saying that calling um, to stop the attacks on those mercenaries, knowing they're involved in an assassination plot. Why would they encourage them to stop the attack? Right. And you could say maybe at that point in time, they might have not known. They maybe thought that this was legit. But with the U.S., the intelligence the U.S. has and considering the fact that James Solage, Joseph Vincent, former FBI and DEA informants, and one of them even, this was in from a Miami Herald. I covered it in episode 16. Um, but if it was not, I want to make this, if it was not Solage and it was Vincent, but one of them after, after the, the assassination had called their former handler. Uh, it was a D, whoever, whoever was the former DEA informant. Let me double check here. The article will show you. Cause I want to get this, I want to get this clear here. I won't have it. Oh, it was Joseph Vincent. So Joseph Vincent, after the killing, had called his former and his former handler. And then his handler allegedly told them it's better off you turn yourself in. Out of all people in the world, why are you calling your former handler after you DEA handler after you assassinated a president? That is the most sketchiest shit ever, which anyways, no crime. There's never a crime that is perfect. Very highly sophisticated, but there's never a perfect crime. Like, people will always leave traces. And I do believe this. There's more, as the years go by, more invest. obviously the investigations go by, there's going to be more and more coming out of this. Um, but there's too many holes in these stories with the investigations um, to not see a clear connection between the U.S. government or U.S. officials um, or government bodies, CIA, DEA, FBI, whatever, um, and the assassination or Haiti itself. But in this talk, if referring to this, we're mainly talking about the assassination. So we'll see how this goes, but this is more revelations. Hopefully there's more that comes out. Um, then again, names that I'd be curious to see, which I don't think we're ever going to see big names maybe involved, but some people in the business sector, I'd like to maybe see their names pop up because we still don't know who financed all of this. Um, but I've got an idea. I'm not, I don't want to allude to any names, but I've always had my few ideas of who may have been um, involved, but I'm not, it's obviously not just one, one person, but multiple. So next up, I want to show you here. So article in French, uh, l'ambassadeur d'Haïti, Edmond Bush, impliqué dans la vente de passeport à 10 000 dollars US à des fugitifs étrangers. So basically this guy was selling passports to the highest bidder. I'm oh, sorry, not highest bidder, but at least around $10,000. Some articles are saying the highest bidder, but we'll get into here and I'll translate for you in English. 
Selon des informations recueillies auprès d'une source de confiance de la rédaction de Trending 24, l'ambassadeur d'Haïti à Washington, Edmond Bouchy, a impliqué dans une affaire de vente de passeports et de fugitifs étrangers. D'après notre source, un passeport haïtien est livré à n'importe quel fugitif étranger qui fuit la justice de son pays. So this article is saying basically that he was handing out passports to anyone that was, that was trying to flee justice from any type any country. So he would basically, whether they're Arab, Colombian, Russian, he would give them a passport. They'd pay it because obviously they're desperate. They'd pay the 10,000. They get a Haitian passport and then fly to Haiti and they're accepted there. Après notre source, un passeport haïtien livré à n'importe quel fugitif étranger qui fait la justice de son pays, qu'il soit arabe, colombien, russe ou une autre nation néanmoins qui est prêt à payer les 10 000 dollars américains qui réclament l'ambassadeur Boshi Edmond. Et recevra un passeport haïtien lui, lui permettra de se réfugier en Haïti. Yeah, another example, then again, this is just another example again. These people, they take, they get these, these, these political positions. They help out themselves, a family, move out the country, and then forget what they need to do, and then forget about themselves, forget for where they're from. Because it can't be me talking about. I'm not even born like in Haiti. Like it, and then I can't imagine people born there and then taking advantage of their country or their position while their country, like here, like there's poverty everywhere. There's poverty in Canada, um, but it's not like. Um, people are dying of starvation. Like, there's an abundance, there's an abundance of food for everyone just in general in the world. Um, but it's not like people are dying of starvation or, like, are affected by, obviously, people are affected by inflation here, but it's the, it's not, I couldn't say it's a dire situation as opposed to the situation in Haiti. Like, Haiti has a, right now, it looks like it's going to be a brain-dead society because the people that are there are going to school outside the country, obviously, for, like, rightfully so, for better opportunity, Um, Canada's not in that position here. We've got really good schools here. And if they don't come to Canada, they go to school in the States too. So um, it's not the same situation. So I'll continue here. Haiti's top diplomat in the U.S. is fired after passport scandal in the Washington Embassy. This is from the Miami Herald. Haiti has fired its ambassador to the United States, Bush Edmond, following investigation by the U.S. and Haitian governments into a kickback corruption scheme inside its Washington Embassy involving the illegal issuance of passports, a Haitian government official confirmed to the Miami Herald. This is interesting here. Um, I'll read this. He pointed fingers instead at his former boss, Claude Joseph, who served as a both interim prime minister and foreign minister of Haiti under the late president, Jovenel Moïse. Joseph told the Herald that when he learned about the corruption allegations, he did what he had to do and ordered an inquiry by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So Claude Joseph, who served as interim prime minister, he pointed fingers at him too. So the corruption first came to light when Joseph was in charge of the foreign ministry. In June 2021, U.S. Customs officials seized several packages with a total of 400 passport applications from Haitian nationals living in Chile and cash totaling of $50,000 U.S. The FedEx packages were addressed to the person, personal residence of Guillaume Just, who was Just, Joseph's cousin and who was serving at the time as a head of consular section of Haitian Embassy in Washington. A U.S. Customs and Border Protection document shared with the Herald showed, for example, that after agencies one of the packages, they sent Just a letter dated August 18, 2021, informing him that they had intercepted documents at a cashier's check for $10,200 addressed to his home in Maryland. 
A Haitian government investigation report determined the Haitian ambassador to the United States, Boshi Edmond, the ambassador's sister, Bettina Edmond, an accredited consular official of the Haitian Consulate General in New York, as well as other Haitian diplomatic mission members issued passports with, without lawful authority from the Haitian government. These guys are literally just birthing Haitians with documents. Like, that's how easy it is. Just birthing Haitians just with fake passports and boom. These people are Haitians just like they can enter the country um, as if they were citizens or stay there for a long time. And even if they had to get kicked out, who's going to find them? Like Haiti has a weak government. So <laughs> if you're using this as refuge for people and then you're using your position and making money off of it by selling these passports, that is very crazy to me. That is very crazy to me. But then again, this is nothing new. I, if this is just my own, my personal belief, my belief, I believe like most people in the Haitian government specifically. Well, before I say that, I believe most governments are corrupt, whether it's big or small. Um, it could be some, doing something big or small, but most of the politicians in Haiti are corrupt. I don't think that's going to change um, unless there's drastic change. Like the, like the, the. I like how Trump used to say, um, drain the swamp. Well, like the the swamp in Haiti needs to be drained like <laughs> a lot, like cleaned out completely because these guys, they come, join these positions. The first thing they think about seems to be money and how am I going to wrench myself, my status. And they forget about where they came from and the people they're helping. I'm sorry, the people they got elected or appointed to help. Like there's no... No respect for what their job and no respect for the state of Haiti, basically. So, anyways, we'll continue here at 1804, hold them accountable, expose them, um, make sure that their names are out there, people know what they're doing, because um, um, it's getting ridiculous at this point, At this point, right? You got a country that was independent for X amount of years, yet it's still in the same position as it was since its inception, you could say. Or even, you'll look at a lot of... Um, not trying to compare, but a lot of countries in Africa, they got their, well, that's a sketch. That's another different story, but a lot of them got their independence in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yet, a lot of them are either in the same economic or um, economic or social situation as Haiti, or they're actually better off. And yet, these countries are less than 100 years old. So, anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, please like and subscribe when you get a chance. Take care. See you.